What is up, Second Students family? What's up? Hey, so glad you're here tonight. I don't know about you, but that video kind of got me pumped up and wanted to think about my family. Maybe you saw one of your family pictures in there. Uh, hey, tonight we are going to continue our series called Hashtag Goals. And I know this is like, there's this awesome tree here and we're going to get back to this. This is going to have a, a role in tonight. So now that we've got that out of the way, you're like, what's that tree doing here? What's it going to be? I know it's here, but let's ignore it over the next <clears throat> few minutes and we'll get that thing back in play in just a little bit. So I want to give you guys just a, a quick recap of where we've been in this series, hashtag goals. If you were with us a couple weeks ago, you heard how we have purpose and we have life goals and things that we want to accomplish in life. Does anybody want to be successful one day? Awesome. A few of us want to. Um, hopefully all of us at one point say, hey, you know, I got purpose and I have things that I can accomplish here on this earth. And so we looked at how we can be impactful for the kingdom of God and how we can set our minds first on the kingdom. And then last week, if you were here, you heard a message on how we were designed to have community. We were designed to have friendships. And we looked at the proper context for friendships, especially how we can be a good friend to other people. We can be an encourager. And so you guys were a part of hearing, hey, we need friends and you got a friend here. So come and partner up with people here in this ministry. And we're going to continue tonight. <clears throat> you have to forgive me because of my voice. It's a little scratchy because of cold. But we're going to continue tonight. And we're going to look at family goals. Now, immediately, I want us to not just like narrow scope it down to just mom, dad, brother, and sister. It's so much greater than just our immediate family. Though they are a part of our lives, we have a much greater and much broader sense. And I want us to look at that, that phrase family in a much broader sense. So uh, tonight, if you are taking notes, great. If you, know, if you don't have a card or a pen, I want to encourage you to slide back there, get a card and a pen tonight. And I want to encourage all of you to take notes. And, and I believe that it's so important that what we write down here, we take with us when we leave. You know, it's proven that we forget 90% of the things that we don't write. And so it's important for us that when we come, we begin writing because we say, if I write it, I'm going to be more prone to remember what I'm hearing. So if you choose not to write, hey, that's cool. You're just saying, hey, I think what you're speaking about is trash and I don't care. But if you're really invested, you're going to take notes. You're going to write and you're going to say, I want to commit this to my life. And so again, take what you have, learn to write notes. And here's what I believe. If you think that we're just throwing out trash, hey, that's cool. But here's what we believe and what we think is that what we say and what we stand up here preaching is God's word. And we know that God's word does not return void. Amen. I need to get an amen up in this mug tonight. God's word does not return void. Yeah. All right, so you young sixth graders and young students who are coming in, learn how to take notes. Learn how to take notes early. Get it in your habits and say, I'm going to apply this to my life. I'm going to take it with me, okay? We can do another amen right there, can't we? Perfect. Awesome. You guys are with me tonight. All right, I'm going to give you guys some major points and themes on the front end of the message tonight. That way, we have a good understanding of where we're going and how these points apply to the scripture that we're going to look at. So you guys are taking notes. I've got four main themes that I want us to look at. And these four main themes stretch all across the scriptures. The first one is this, is that God created family. I want you to write that down tonight, is that God created family. That's right, from the very beginning of time, there was God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity existed in relationship as a family. And as an overflow of that family, God created humanity. That's right, he created Adam and Eve. 
And thus humans were born, families were created. And what we want to get out of this also is that in a family context, you can become the best you. You see, we were not designed to go out on our own and to do our own thing to become great. If you want to become the best you, you are designed to do that within a family context. That was part of God's design. But a problem that we have is that our sin destroyed family. That's key point number two. That's the second theme tonight, is that our sin destroyed family. We see that from the very beginning when Adam and Eve sinned against God, rebelled and disobeyed what God had said in the garden. Do not eat of that fruit of knowledge. There are two sons, Cain and Abel, brothers. Cain murdered Abel. See our first murder situation. And here we see family already full of sin, humanity full of sin. And I got news for us is that no matter where you come from, whether you're from Atascacita, Kingwood, Umble, Splendora, Cleveland, Spring, Timbuktu, it doesn't matter where you're from is that you, you are part of humanity. You're part of a broken family. It doesn't matter if you're rich, poor, educated or not. If you have a job, don't have a job. If you're a human being, and y'all look right here, you're a human, okay? You're part of humanity that was destroyed by sin. Now, here's some good news. Is that in the third thing, we see that God recreates family. God recreated family. He sent Jesus Christ to pay for that sin, that sin that separated us, and he died on a cross for our sins, and three days later, he rose from the grave, thus giving us an opportunity to live again too in relationship with God. And so God restores that broken relationship. He restores the sin, recreates family through Jesus so that we can be saved. And maybe you've heard this phrase before that so we can be reborn, regenerated, so we can, again, live again in a new family. God recreated family through Jesus so that we could have restored relationship with God. And the best news of all, the theme number four, is that you are invited to join the family. I want you to look at your neighbor right now and say, hey, you're invited. Look at your other neighbor and say, you're invited too. Awesome, perfect. So all four of these themes are seen all throughout scripture that God restoring and giving a second chance. How many of y'all just would love a second chance in life, right? I mean, with a lot of things, if you say, man, if I could go back and change, yes, right. I mean, we all look at life and say, man, I've made a lot of mistakes and we can beat ourselves up. And God is a God of restoration and a lot of second chances. And so with that understanding, I want, again, I want to give us the proper context and the proper understanding. So understanding these four themes, and we're going to look at some scripture here in a moment, and we're going to apply these four themes. And when we begin looking at scripture and we begin looking at life and we begin applying these four themes through the lenses of scripture, not just to the story of scripture, but to your family and your life, things are going to begin popping off the page for you. I really believe that. I believe that the God of the universe, your creator, the one who's divinely appointed you here tonight in that seat has got you here for a purpose. And he wants you to put on your, your glasses, your lenses. So I want y'all to do this with me right here. Y'all do this? Cool. I know it looks weird. It's kind of cool. If you can't do that, you just do this number, you know, in your eye, three point. Cool. Y'all look weird, but it's cool. You got your glasses on. You can stop doing that. We got our glasses on. 
And we're going to look at this story, and I want us to look at our lives through the, through the lenses of those four themes that will help give us proper context and understanding to this Old Testament scripture. I'm going to give you guys in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Now, before we read 2 Samuel chapter 9, if you want to write that down, you cool, we'll come back to it. I got to help set up the story. I got to help set up this story. And how about you? But when I was your age, the Old Testament seemed like a part of the Bible that I never wanted to touch. I was almost scared of the Old Testament because of what I may or may not understand. How does it all fit into God's picture and God's story and God's plan of redemption? I didn't understand it. So we're going to look at a story in the Old Testament. And for some of you, you might have heard, maybe have heard of a guy named David. Anybody ever heard of a guy named David before? Okay, cool. All five of you. So tonight, we're going to look at a guy named David. Now, here in a moment, when we jump into 2 Samuel chapter 9, we're going to look at the life of David when he became a king, but we got to backtrack and look a little bit before he became the king of Israel. Now, David was the second king of Israel. Anybody know who the first was? Say it out loud. Caesar. Not Caesar. Who I heard right here? Whoa, whoa. Okay, I heard a bunch. It was Saul. Look at you, little Biblical scholars out there tonight. It was Saul. I want you to write that down. Saul was the very first king of Israel. If you remember, Moses went up to Pharaoh, let my people go, okay? Very dramatic like. Everything took place. Moses led the people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. The baton was handed to Joshua. Joshua led him into the promised land, and the people needed a king. And so David, second king, who was the first? Saul, Saul was anointed by God to be king. Now, what do we know about Saul? Saul was a strapping leader. I mean, he was like the man, the man. Saul was the man. As a matter of fact, not just in a physical appearance, but charismatically, appearance-wise, he had it all going for him, and he was the very first king. The only issue that Saul started stumbling across is that he began living a life of rebellion and stopped listening to God and started focus, focusing more on him and his progress and his fame. Pretty sad situation. So Saul, anointed by God, all of a sudden becomes disobedient, begins boasting in himself. So here's what happens. God sends the prophet Samuel. You all write down Samuel because we're in the book of Samuel tonight, right? Second Samuel. He sends Samuel this prophet and he sends Samuel to the house of Jesse. Who is Jesse? Jesse is the father of David. That's right. I mean, you guys are so with it. Jesse is the father of David. Now we know this, that Jesse shows up to the house and he sees all the brothers from oldest to youngest. And he's looking at these boys and God has sent Samuel here for a special purpose to Jesse's home to find the new anointed king. But Jesse looks across the brothers and he's like, I don't see the king here. Do you have another son? Boys, do you have another brother? Oh yeah, he's out in the, in the, in the shepherd attending, or he's out in the, the field attending the flock. He's a shepherd. It's little David, little shepherd boy. So Jesse goes out there and finds David, and he knows that David right there is the anointed future king. Fast forward just a little bit. War is going on. Now, the rivalry between the Israelites and the Philistines. You guys have maybe heard the story, right? David and Goliath. So the brothers are at war. David goes to, to, to take some things to his brothers, and, and what he finds out is that Goliath has been coming out for like 40 straight days, taunting and screaming and yelling at the Israelites saying, you guys are idiots, your God's a fool, your God doesn't exist, come and fight me. And the Israelites were scurred. Y'all say scurred. Yeah, Saul, 
He was scourged. You're thinking, man, Saul's the king. He's the man, right? Why doesn't Saul step up? But he was scourged. And so for 40 days and for 40 nights, the Israelites did absolutely nothing. And here comes David on the scene. What, you can't handle that? I got this. And he walked in with some anointed swagger, picked up some stones, and y'all know the story, basically whooped Goliath's butt, right? Down goes the giant. Now, this is where it starts getting really, really interesting. As you can imagine, if you won the war, it'd be a crazy scene, kind of like the Super Bowl here in a couple weeks when the Panthers win it, okay? Yes, I'd have to say something. Okay, so it was a party. It was crazy. It was a riot. What started taking place here, they weren't dabbing in the streets or anything like that, but people all of a sudden began, woo, we won the war. Saul, hey man, he killed his thousands, but David, man, he killed his tens of thousands. Yeah, Saul, major, major jealous problems here. Hashtag jealous, okay? Remember, Saul was already in trouble because he kept boasting in himself and what he was accumulating, everything that he was achieving. And all of a sudden he sees David begin having success and he feels threatened. He feels so threatened and intimidated. Now here's a twist to this whole story. Saul had a son named Jonathan. Jonathan loved, loved God, loved God. And he had a friendship with David. He had a friendship with David. So much to the fact that he loved David so much as a friend. When he looked at David, he knew God had put the anointing to be king on David. Jonathan knew it. Well, how many of y'all know this? If a king dies, who's next to be the king? The son, the prince, which is Jonathan. Jonathan was in line to be the king one day when Saul died. But here's Jonathan in line to have the throne and to have the kingdom and to, and to lead the Israelites. And he says, I'm not the man. God has anointed David. And so he says to David, a shepherd boy, a peasant, hey, dude, it's you. It's not me. How do you think Saul responded? Not too lightly. Man, that boy got mad. I mean, he tried to like disown Jonathan. Like, dude, you were a mistake. You were a failure. It's your mother's fault. All these things he talks about and blows up at Jonathan. You go on throughout the story in 1 Samuel and you see where Saul's sin completely destroys their family. And eventually Saul and his sons, including Jonathan and the other boys, go to war and they're eventually killed. They're killed. Saul's sin led to the destruction of his family. And this is where it picks up tonight for us after the dust all settles. Saul dies, Jonathan dies, now David takes over the kingdom. He is now king of Israel. So if you're with me tonight, you're in 2 Samuel chapter 9. If you don't have your Bibles, that's cool. It's going to be on the screen. But write that passage down. Remember the four big themes. Y'all got your glasses on. What are the four big themes? God created family. Our sin destroyed family. That God recreated family and that you and I are invited to join the family. So here we go. 2 Samuel chapter 9. One day, David asked, is anyone in Saul's family alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He summoned a man named Ziba. Y'all say Ziba. There's gonna be some fun names, get ready. 
who had been on one, <clears throat> who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? The king asked. Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. Then the king asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. In Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the home of Mekir, son of Amiel. So David sent for him and brought him from, from Mekir's home. His name was Mephibosheth. Y'all say Mephibosheth. It's a fun name, isn't it? I, I, uh, one of our, uh, a pastor out in South Carolina did the same kind of uh, study, same kind of scripture. And he said, he's from South Carolina. He said, you know, we're, we're kind of country in these parts. And, you know, maybe you all have a grandpa who uh, calls everybody Bo. Like he just walks in, hey, Bo. Like, That's not my name. What's up, Bo? That's how they do it in the South. And so for this instance, we could just call him Bo, Michelle Bo. That, no? Okay. We'll just stick with his name, Mephibosheth. So what happens here? His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid, David David said, I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. This is pretty important so he could take care of the farm. And Ziba replied, yes, my lord, the king, I am your servant and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. Wow. So a question I have for us tonight. So why does that, all that matter in our goal series? What does that have anything to do with our goal series and family? What was the very first thing that we, we looked at tonight? that God created family. That's right, you see, God created family with the intent and the purpose so that when people look at your family, look at my family, they see joy, they see kindness, they see excitement, they see the living image of God in our families. And they say, look at that family, wow, look what God created and look who God is in that family. That's so important for us to see tonight. But what was the problem? Our families were designed to be that way. Our families were designed to look that way. But what was the second theme? Sin destroyed families. King Saul's rebellion destroyed and killed the family. And there's a myth that some people think, some of us think that our sin and bad choices 
only impact us, but the reality is, is that your sin impacts everybody else around you, including your family. And we can see it right here. It's clear right here in scripture, all throughout, not just the story, but all throughout scripture, that people's choices and people's sins have consequences on those around them. And your sins and my sins affect those around us. Not just immediately, but everybody. And it may not just be in this generation, but it could be for generations to come. I want every single one of you to know that you can tonight, this might be the most powerful message you ever hear in your life, and tonight be a night where you say, man, God is changing the course of my life and how I live in the context of God's family, in my immediate family, and for generations to come. Because one day, hopefully, prayerfully, by, the, by grace, the grace of God, you, each and every single one of you, will have your own family. And maybe tonight is a turning point to you where you say, I'm going to be more dependent upon God to put more of him into my life and less of me. Because we realize that in our weakness and our sin, it affects those around us. Like for some of you, you're being distracted right now by a friend and you are causing someone to stumble by not hearing from God. And by you being a distraction, you are sinning against your neighbor right now. And I'm pointing that out very clearly because some of you are doing that and you're missing out. So our sin destroys. King Saul's sin led to destruction and death. And for you and for me, maybe, maybe you had this question. I have this question. Why was Mephibosheth lame? Well, how did that happen? If you look earlier on, when there was a battle taking place, Saul again ticked off some other country and they come invade and the nurse, the servant was picking up Mephibosheth in a moment of hurry, in a moment of like, ah, panic, picks him up out of his bed, out of his crib, whatever it is, when he was an infant, and she drops him. Now, we don't know. It doesn't tell us how she dropped him. I don't know if it broke his leg, if it broke his hip, or how it impacted him. We just know that he was dropped, and he was crippled. He was lame. He could not walk. And here's what's interesting. You continue to fast forward, you look through this, we see the third theme, is that God recreates family. Now, one thing I want you to know is that Jesus is the hero all throughout scripture. Everything points to Jesus, it's about Jesus, and he is the ultimate king in this world. And everything here points to him. And David's words here were so shocking. What does he say at the very beginning to him? He says, hey, is there anybody that I can show kindness to in Saul's family? I mean, this is so completely countercultural. It's so against what everybody may say because he is the brand new king. Go back in your history classes. Go ask your history professors and ask them what would happen to the former king or his family whenever a new king came into reign. What would take place is that king would come in and he'd either destroy, kill that king and that family or he'd have them thrown in the dungeon in a dark spot where they'd never be seen again. But David did something, he did something so completely different, so backwards. And he says, is there anybody in Saul's family that I can show kindness and love to? So David sends Ziba, Ziba the servant, and he says, hey, yo, there is someone. There's, there's a grandson. There's a son, and his name is Mephibba. Y'all can say it. There you go. Or Bo, right? What was Mephibosheth's reaction when he heard? It says very clearly, 
He was afraid. So he's going before, God, he's going before King David here, and he's afraid. Why is he afraid? Because, whoo, what did Saul try to do to David? I mean, Saul tried to kill David on multiple, multiple attempts. So you think about this, he's like, man, what am I going to do? I'm going to show up to the king. He's calling me. I don't even know what I'm doing. And he's, he, all this wrath, all this anger he's going to have against Saul is going to just pour out on me. I don't even know what to do. And so he's showing up scared. He's afraid. And, and what, is, what does David say to him? He says, don't be afraid. Man, I, I loved your dad, Jonathan, and, and we were friends. And because of that relationship, guess what? I'm going to give you everything I got, everything that Saul had. Man, it's yours. He just won the lottery, y'all. He just won the lottery. I mean, how many of y'all would have loved to win $1.5 billion last week? Amen? Okay, me too. Tithe on that junk? Mm. That would have been huge. I mean, he just showed up and got handed everything. Why? Why is this so important? What does this have to do with reclaiming it? Guys, listen. This is one of the first pictures of adoption. Y'all, this just screams Jesus. This is, this is gospel. This is good news. This is, this is the love of God being extended through David here. And you may not realize it, you may not see it or may understand it, but you're in the story. You and I are a part of the story. We're Mephibosheth. That's right. You and I are Mephibosheth. We're part of the family that rebels against God. And listen, God would be in his right to punish us, but God loves us on, a, on behalf of a relationship that he has with Jesus, just like David and Jonathan's friendship. Remember I told you that he was lame? In a lot of ways, we are too. Is because we can't earn our way to God. We can't read our Bible enough. We can't come to church enough. We can't say good things. There's nothing that we can do to bridge a gap between us and God. We are spiritually lame. Remember we talked about at the very beginning, sin destroys family and we are all part of the, of the human race, part of humanity and that you and I were born into a sinful world. And if you looked at me when I said, hey, are you a human? I looked at you and you said, yeah, you're a human. That's us. We cannot do anything to get to God. The king, King David, he had to send people to get Mephibosheth, didn't he? He had to go physically send somebody so that Mephibosheth could be brought because he was lame, he was crippled, he was broken, and the king brought him to himself to extend love and kindness. Someone sent someone for you, y'all. Someone sent someone for you. God sent Jesus. He comes and he takes you and he takes me and he takes us up and he brings us to the king, our God. That's what Jesus does, amen? He sees us and he says, let me come and let me come to this earth and let me take you and let me take your sin and let me put you in proper setting with God. Because of me, you can be in relationship with God. Y'all, this is beautiful. And maybe for some of us, we're so afraid that one day when we stand before God, we're like, oh, 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 I'm just so afraid. Oh, I'm so petrified. I don't even know what he's going to say. But God says, listen, don't be afraid because I love Jesus. And Jesus says that he loves you. That's the beautiful thing is that Jesus has done something completely different, completely countercultural. And he's done something that we couldn't do by ourselves. 
And we don't have to be afraid when we go and stand before God one day because if we know Jesus, he says, man, I see Jesus. I love Jesus. And he said he loves you. You're good. Come on. Mephibosheth said, I'm a dead dog. Why? He said, I'm a dead dog. Out of everybody, I'm lame. I'm out here by myself. I have no purpose. I have no life. I feel like I'm completely empty. I'm a dead dog. Why would you choose me? Put yourself in his shoes for a moment. Remember, you're in the story. Who are you in the story? You are Mephibosheth. You're a part of this, students. And I want you to know, it's not about what you've done. It's not about what you think you can do or what you've said, but about, it's about what God wants to do in your life. And you can be accepted by God. Doesn't, God doesn't hate or love you any less or more because of your actions, but what he does is he, he either sees Jesus in the gap or he doesn't see Jesus in the gap. Either you have a relationship with God because Jesus is there, he's made it possible for you, or there's no Jesus in the gap. David had a relationship with Mephibosheth. My question for you tonight is, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you come to a place where you have given your life to Jesus? You've completely turned over your life to Jesus, the one who came and did something for you, the one who forgave you of your sins when you were still lame and crippled and couldn't walk, separated from God. And he says, let me come and do something for you. And I want to let you know something. Listen, you guys are part of one of the largest gatherings in student ministry across the state of Texas. We are one church in six locations. There are over a thousand students just like you in Second Baptist Church tonight gathered across this city under the name of Jesus. It's one of the largest gatherings of students in this state. And I want to keep that in front of you for a reason. Because each and every single week, we see the story of Mephibosheth and the gospel played out every single week here at Live and in Week in Bible study and in worship. And you are a part of that. And many of you were extended an invitation and someone came after you and they brought you and they carried you and they prayed for you and they brought you here. And you hear the good news of how Jesus wants to restore your life, how he wants to give you life to the full. And he wants you to achieve goals for his purpose and for his will. And he wants you to do it in the greater context of God's family goals that you would live with great purpose and intentionality. I don't know about you, but we all need someone who wants to pour into our lives. You know, we've been brought here and we've been, we have been reborn, we've been saved and people wanna pour into our lives. We do that every single weekend. But let me ask you just a straightforward question. In God's family, in the grand scheme of life, who is that person in your life who pours into you? who builds you up, that you've opened up to, you've allowed that, that person to speak truth into your life, you know, to encourage you, to challenge you, to speak tough love, to call you out whenever you're going the wrong direction and say, hey, hey, you know, I, can, I know you're, you're slacking in that class. I know you can do better than that, man. Go, go chase after that scholarship. You can do it. Or, hey, I'm noticing this in your life. Hey, man, I know that's not God's best for you, and I know that's not what you want for you. Let me help you out. Come on. Who's that person in your life? Do you have that person? This is God's family, his church, his bride. And every single weekend here in Second Students, we have life groups where you can, you can connect with an adult leader and other students, and you can build those relationships. You may not know this, but there's a dozen leaders scattered throughout this room 
There's another 20 to 30 across the hallway in, in a class right now, a group of, and a team of, of people equipping themselves to love and to minister and be prepared to help you and to pour into your life. If you're willing to say, you know what, I'm broken, I need help, and I need someone to speak some hard truth in my life and to love me and to spur me on. That's part of being in God's family. We can't have the excuse of, oh, I'm just gonna sleep in it Sunday, church isn't important. No, come. Come, bring, drag, invite, do whatever you can, but come. You say, well, it's gonna be awkward. I, I just don't know anybody. I just don't know people. I just, I don't know. It's gonna be awkward. I've heard this said many times that oftentimes it may be awkward at first, but great relationships, great relationships happen on the other side of awkward first conversations. So that first conversation may be really awkward with someone who you're trying to get to know. That adult leader who shows up and say, hey, I'm here to help you. How can I help you? You're like, uh. But let's get past that and see what God will do through someone who wants to pour in and invest in your life. Listen, students, you don't have to walk life alone. We're a family. I hope you know that. I hope when you look across the room, you don't see just people from other schools and people who you don't even know. But you say, you know what? We are a family. We are Every single one of us are united under the common bond of Jesus. And if we would come together with the mentality of how can I love my family? How can I serve my family? Is there anybody here in my family that I can show love and kindness to? Lord, how can I do that? And I look across the room and I see dozens of high school and junior high students who are actively doing that. I'm so proud and so impressed when I see some of our students here in this crowd today who give up their time and, and actively involve themselves in the lives of other kids through our jump ministry, through our giggle ministry, and other ways across our church body, in our church family. I'm so proud of you because you realize that someone invested into your life and you want to do the same because you recognize that we are a family. You're having an impact on my family and my kids. I love my church. I love my church. I love my family because I watch you guys be changed by God and I watch God change you to change my family. My five-year-old son, Joshua, my three-year-old, Annalie, my one-year-old, Elizabeth, y'all. A lot of you are impacting my family. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. I love you guys. That's not just lip service. Amanda loves you. Spencer, Dylan, this word. Listen, we love you. We may not know you by name, but you're our family and we love you. Don't walk through life alone. And I, know, I realize that many of you, you may have a physical mother and a physical father, you may or may not. But there are spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers here to pour in and invest in your life if you're willing to come and commit on a regular basis. I realize families are not perfect. My parents divorced when I was five. I don't got time to talk about it tonight. If you wanna know, I'll tell you later. I'll take it to Starbucks, Chick-fil-A. We're gonna go Chick-fil-A at the end. I'll tell you about it there. Families aren't perfect. Man. Sin busted that up, but what did Jesus do? Man, through Jesus, through Jesus, he says, let me restore this. Man. What was the fourth theme? That you and I are invited. Isn't that good news? We all love invitations, right? When someone says, I want you to come to my party. And Jesus extends an invitation to you and me, says, I want you to come.
come and inherit all that I have, all that is good, I want you to experience. Come and eat with me. Come dine with me. Come be with me. God extends that invitation so that you can be in his family and be in relationship with God. Every head bowed and every eye closed right now. Maybe it's tonight that you say, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Tonight, that can change. That can change. Our King, our God, sent someone for you, a servant, Jesus, who paid your sin, who paid your penalty so that you could have a relationship with God. And he extends the invitation to you tonight. And he says, will you receive my invitation and will you come? And that's the invitation tonight. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if tonight you're saying, man, tonight's the night I need to give my life to Jesus. You're saying, that's me tonight. I want you right now, boldly raise your hand and look up at me. No one moving, no one talking. Don't distract your neighbors. That's you. Look right up at me. Just raise your hand. Again, every head bowed and every eye closed because the next invitation is for all of us. And it's to the reality that we need a spiritual family, that we need a church family. We need to be an active part of God's family. Maybe tonight you're coming in here and you're coming from a broken family. You're coming from dysfunction and it hurts. I know what that's like. But I also know that God's truth and God's love always outweigh how I feel because my faith in Jesus is not about feelings. It's about what Jesus did that I couldn't do for myself and I have confidence in him. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do tonight, right now, right where you're at, I want you to begin praying, asking God, God, what is it that I can do to show the love and kindness to my family? How do I love my family? How do I create a generational gap that changes the direction of my family, that my family no longer completely rebels, about, rebels from you but walks with you in obedience to see you do some incredible things. God, what is it that I can do here in this church family? God, how can I step up? How can I serve? How do I get involved? How do I bring others to you so that others can come and be healed? How do I do that? Ask God right now to show you.